And welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Seawood. And with me in this cat-free, sneeze-free, eyesight-having zone is Mr. Chad Metz. It is awesome to see that you can actually see and do things and um, and, and even better, that you're not sneezing every five seconds. Uh, yes. I, I know that life. It's miserable. A, uh, a bit of inside baseball here. There is a there's there have been several along the way, but this was the most recent lost episode <laughs> of the Movies on the Brain podcast, um, in which Chad gave a very good soliloquy on uh, on Warner Brothers in DC that he thought was going to be lost to space and time, and then Warner Brothers just decided to do something else again to cause him to talk about it. So he won't get out of that again this week. Um, but yes, there was a lost podcast. Uh, <laughs> it got smothered with my cat suffocations. And uh, it wasn't audible for anyone. So we uh, we just scrapped it and we're moving on. And we're here now. And I can see and I am not sneezing. So this should be a good a good way to go. Yeah, I think this will this will be a better time. And yeah, of course, uh, I know we're going to get into D.C. in a minute. But do you know, like twice this week, I sat up here and I actually recorded something about D.C. And I just decided not to do it. Because that's how much they got in my head this week, and because I know we're about to do it now, but uh, yeah, this is this is my life. They do something, and it it triggers responses for me. Yeah, uh, they have to tear the whole thing down, and one of the first things they have to tear the whole thing down on is Fantastic Beast and where to find them. Chad, Fantastic Beast and where to find them. The secrets of Dumbledore crashed and burned with forty million, the lowest debut for a Fantastic Beast movie slash Harry Potter movie in the 21st century. So, Chad, your thoughts on Fantastic Beast and where to find them, the secrets of Dumbledore crashing and burning. All right. So a little context. I know some people might listen to this and be like, how did it crash and burn when it opened at number one? That is fair. Um, and we are still, I mean, people will say we're still dealing with pandemic numbers. I think we have, we are a little bit, but it's slowly getting back to normal. But Fantastic Beasts opened with uh, $42 million, which is good enough for number one. I wish I had the foresight to pull up the other numbers, but I know that is far and away the lowest of this trilogy's um, box office so far. I didn't have the pleasure of seeing the movie. I've actually never seen any of the three movies. It, it, it never. I never was interested in the first, and it seemed like after the first, they switched to make it more um, inclusive of all things Harry Potter instead of just the the weird, wacky animal stuff about the Wizarding World. Um, and that story seems to be like more integral to the overall Harry Potter mythos. But, but I don't know. Um, I, I I think this one has shown that a lot of the magic was in that first cast, those first set of books. And now you're dealing with, you know, spinoffs that people, I don't know if people aren't gravitating to the characters or they just want to see the people that they know come back. But combine that with, you know, still pandemic issues you get this result and 
since Warner Brothers is again in the transition from ownership and ownership, different ownerships going to have different views of success. Yeah, winning the weekend might be good, but forty-two million dollars when number two is Sonic with almost thirty in its second weekend, and this is and and since it's on, it's Warner Brothers. It's going to be HBO Max, so in six weeks, it's going to be on HBO Max anyway. I think this thing is going to drop like a stone, and that's the problem. They are number the uh, Fantastic Beast movies are number nine, ten, and eleven. When you uh, when you look at the uh, Harry Potter movies in in context, um, the opening for Fantastic Beast was seventy four. The opening for Crimes of Grindelwald was sixty two, and the opening for Secrets of Dumbledore was forty two. So a twenty million dollar drop off in opening weekend. From 2018 to 2022. So yeah, that's uh, that has to be at the very least concerning. But um, more than that, as I'm thinking about this, I know this thing had to be marketed because it's a Harry Potter movie and it's the second biggest release of Warner Brothers. But I don't remember seeing as much about for this movie as see. I, mean, I know for sure not as much as the Batman. See, see, I thought they promoted this even more heavily than some of the others. I think they targeted their advertising a little bit better to um, the spaces where they had been, been included. Um, the bigger issue for me is that I think that they made a boo-boo with the release schedule. I think put these have typically been Thanksgiving weekend movies, and to move it up to spring was, I thought, kind of a mistake. Um, I think the we're always going to have questions when it comes to a Warner Brothers uh, release about whether or not the um, the HBO Max portion of it uh, has is having anything to do with the success or failure. But like for me, we're supposed to get five of these, and we're three in now. And from everything I can tell, this movie um, is back to how do I say it? So the the whole thing is basically a prequel in the very first movie in the back of the, on the back of the chocolate frog card that they find when they're in the, the cart together, the candy cart together on the Hogwarts express for the first time. They, the, the card is the story of Dumbledore. It, it's, a, it's a biography of Dumbledore. And in that biography of Dumbledore, it talks about how he defeated the great wizard, uh, Grindelwald in the epic duel and sent, Grindelwald away and won the Wizarding War. It's a like a, it's like a sentence long, it's two sentences long maybe. And then when you get to Fantastic, when you get to uh, Half Blood Prince, and not even Half Blood Prince, when you get to Deathly Hallows, you learn that Grindelwald and Dumbledore had a relationship. That there was a confrontation between Grindelwald, Ariana, and uh, Aberforth. In, in, in Albus, and it was over their relationship, and Grindelwald and, uh, and Aberforth and Dumbledore all took out their wands and all cast spells at one another, and one of the spells reflected off and hit Ariana, and basically caused Ariana to be a squib for the rest of her life, and somebody that, and, and it caused them to have to take care of Ariana in a way that they wouldn't have had to otherwise. And so it 
scarred it scarred uh Dumbledore for life him and him and uh and uh Grindelwald have a falling out and that Grindelwald goes off and does these things and then Dumbledore goes off and does these things and they meet again in the duel um Grindelwald is then killed in his tower afterwards by Voldemort uh uh, not even by Voldemort, by somebody other than Voldemort, trying to claim the Elder Wand. But uh, this whole story of Fantastic Beast has nothing to do, has never had anything really to do with Nate's, Nate's Scamander. It has been a pretext for telling a story about the lead-up to that great wizarding war and to that battle between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. And so... When it was announced that it was going to be a five-film deal, I was like, that's a very slow walk. Like, the best way that I can put this in context is, like, imagine that, like, the whole of, it, of the Star Wars trilogy, the sequel, the, the prequel trilogy, is all about um, getting to Darth Vader, like, Anakin Skywalker turning, becoming Darth Vader, and how that happened, right? It had been told in mm-hmm. Expanded Universe canon but it had never been done live action. It was, you know, the questions that you had after you saw Empire and even more questions you had after you saw Jedi, it was about telling, the, like, bearing all those out, right? You had three films to lead to Mustafar in that duel and everything that Obi-Wan did, right? It's the same way here, except instead of doing it in three movies, they were going to slow walk it and do it in five. And slowly but surely, they were going to fade away the the fantastic creatures element of the magic beast franchise. And they were slowly, but surely just going to get to this wizarding war. <laughs> and so like they were going to take way too long to get to the point where the fans wanted to get to, because that's the only thing those fans cared about, especially in the second film. The only thing the fans cared about was Jude Law's Dumbledore and how he was going to interact with Grindelwald. They didn't care about Newt's commander they didn't care about little fluffy penguin creatures. They didn't care about you know, Stavolophagus. They just they cared about seeing Dumbledore, played by Jude Law, take on Grindelwald. And the fact that you were going to wait two more films to give you that final battle, they get a battle here. But, like, that was insane. And then what happened, I think, here tonight or here this weekend was the second film was not great. It got very bogged down in J.K. Rowling-type dialogue, and they brought in a screenwriter this time, which helped both the screenplay and the structure of the film. But Rowling, in her work, um, I'll give a good example is Horcruxes. Horcruxes are a very complex thing, and it's really hard to grasp it the first time you read it. But the more you go back and read those chapters, the more you understand, OK, these are the rules, as you always say, like you have to have rules. This is the structure like they give you the rules. They give you how it works. But you have to read it through a couple of times in order to, to grasp how, it, how it's working. In a film, you only get like two minutes to explain this thing. And there's no rewind button. So, like, it's very easy to lose your audience in these big, complex things. If you're not careful and and the way her writing is, it lends itself to these big ideas and these big constructs. Uh, For example, the the big construct in the second Fantastic Beast movie is that uh, the great uh, the orphan kid, um, uh, Constance, 
in the uh, first movie that he it turns out that he's a Dumbledore, that that's that he's related to Dumbledore in some kind of way. But it's convoluted and complicated and it involves a, a, a mother on a ship and a baby and all these things. It's it's something that if it's written in a book, you can read a couple of times to figure out, the, put the dots together. But because it's in a film, you can't automatically rewatch it and figure it out. And so it hurts the film. And so I think that film not doing well hurt. And I think that's why. I think it's too little too late. They made a better film that's more grounded in the Harry Potter universe that gets us much, much, much closer to the Dumbledore, Dumbledore Grindelwald battle that we want to see. Gets us much closer to the Wizarding World, but by the but it's too late. People checked out of the series. And so like it's a classic example of a movie or a TV show finding its footing, but by the time it finds its footing, it's lost its audience. And, you know, I just can't really see how they green light another another film. No, I don't <laughs> with the with their new transition and seemingly a commitment to uh to controversy pre films. <laughs> Because this, oh, no, 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 no. this was a controversial film. You had the Johnny Depp thing. He had to be recast. You had uh, you had old, uh, old, old Liza, uh, Ezra Miller. Ezra, yeah. And, and his whole deal. And you got J.K. Rowling her, in her anti-trans stance. Like, this was not like a simple film to put out. Well, well no. But um, I think Warner Brothers is... The, the new regime seems to be very uh, aware of the properties the properties they have that can be very profitable they just want to figure out the proper way to do it now with harry potter they have the they have the added um i guess inconvenience of having jk rowling around um because she's going to have final say regardless you understand why that is but she is very controversial these days. And I know they would like to not deal with that. And they would also, and there are also things they would like to do that she's probably going to tell them no. Like, uh, if they were smart and they really want to capitalize and kickstart a new era of Harry Potter for them, they will probably try to do some project that brings back the original three. That means Rowling would have to sign off. She would have to have a story for those three. It could be the cursed child. It could be something else. Uh, and from what I've read, she's not so inclined to do that. Um, uh, and those three are not so inclined to do it either. Because, I mean, you know, that was part of their lives, but they're grown now. They don't necessarily have to do it. But I think if you back up enough trucks to their houses, they'll be like, fine, I'll do it. But J.K. Rowling is a whole nother beast. She doesn't, she's the richest person in England. She doesn't need to do anything else. So dealing with her is going to be something they have to factor in. But I think they very much want to make Harry Potter the best that it can be. And Fantastic Beasts might be there now, but like you said, you know, they they found their footing when everybody else has kind of kind of gotten off the train. So they got They have to move on. Yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, I don't know how you can other un, unless it's a creative way, and contracts are written in a certain way. I don't really see how you progress forward with this. I mean, but that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Like, 
I guess the frustration that I have with this is that it was kind of botched from the start. You get Eddie Redmayne coming off his Oscar to sign to do these things, but like you, you place the emphasis on a character that no one's ever heard of. Um, you place the emphasis on a new group of characters. You set it in the 1920s and you do some interesting things, but no one really attaches themselves to Newt or to, you know, any of the, of the main characters. And so you bring in Dumbledore in the second movie and you ground it a little bit more in the Harry Potter lure. But again, it's very complex and, and audiences don't really jump on board. And then you get like this, which is an awesome like Harry Potter adjacent like prequel movie, because that's what it is. And I think the frustration for me is instead of just calling it Harry Potter in the Great Wizarding War, parts one and two. They called it Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them, which is a textbook, and slowly but surely in every in every incarnation kept dropping off and doing less and less with the actual Fantastic Beast and just doing more and more and more with the Dumbledore and the Grindelwald. And like for me, it's like you would have been far better off getting Jude Law and Mads Mickelson, who was was their director's choice the first go around. And just doing a two-part story about the lead-up to the Great Wizarding War and showing the Great Wizarding War. And you can have all kinds of political commentary, especially if the films are coming out from 16 to 20. You can have all kinds of, of parallels to the real world and be relevant, convers- in a, relevant in the conversation about all that. You can have Abbeforth show up. You can have uh, you know any number of other famous former famous alums from the Harry Potter world show up because the movie set 60 years before the events of Harry Potter. Like you can do all that. But again, if once you start branding, it is fantastic beast and just creating the wizarding world instead of just going Harry Potter colon the end, the great wizarding war um, or some other branding, you know, I it just, I don't think you capitalized on that audience the right way and i don't think that there's really there's not really a story cursed child is its own thing it's a very different thing and i don't really think that those actors are inclined to do it if they for money reasons they could but like i don't know if, if rowling won't slide off on a sequel then you're stuck with the fantastic beast world or you do what me and you both remember that the our good friends at fox were going to do with the x-men franchise after uh, after the main three films were done, and that's origin movies. <laughs> they, any, anybody, raise your hand if you remember the uh, Magneto origins movie that was supposed to take place. Like you know, there were if if X Men Origins Wolverine had not failed, they were going to do origin movies for everyone. And maybe you take a character here or there that that has popped from this franchise, um, and you make. And you make movies out of them. I don't know. But like you got to start getting creative or you just got to give people what they want. Just give us a damn two hour long wizarding battle. It's essentially what Deathly Hallows Part 2 is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I don't don't know where they're going to. I don't know where they're going to go. The the JK rolling of it all is going. It's going to be the thing they have to uh, navigate probably the most. But. 
everybody's everybody's going to want more Harry Potter. It's just how are they going to get it? What form is it going to take? Um, and is she's going to be up for it or not? Well, the other thing too is like me and you are both old enough to remember that people were like, "Well, when are we going to get it back to the future part four? I mean, how many times has Bob Gale and and uh, and Robert Zemeckis been asked that question over the last thirty five, almost forty years? And they keep saying, "No, we told the story that we wanted to tell, but how they kept it relevant in pop culture. It stayed relevant through the Back to the Future ride in Universal Orlando. It stayed relevant through Michael J. Fox continuing to work as an actor and doing Spin City and uh, Secret to My Success and all the other movies that he did. It stayed relevant with Christopher Lloyd being willing to becoming an occult character actor and then afterwards going on con circuits and talking about the movie everywhere. Like, it remained relevant just in different ways. Ghostbusters remained relevant for 30 years before we got the all-female reboot. Like, you don't have to keep producing movies. Star Wars is the best example of this. Freaking Star Wars had an, uh, an entire expanded universe of novels that were not written by George. They had, they had fan films. They had all kinds of things that, that festered in the 30 years between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And again, between the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy, to the point where Disney had to go out of their way to say, no, that's not canon anymore. Like, there are ways to remain relevant and to mine a property for money outside outside of doing feature films. For example, if, for example, if Rowling is dead set on telling the story that she started in Fantastic Beast and where to find them and has continued on through the previous three two movies, then I am more than sure that uh, Random House will cut her a check and let her write two more books that would sell. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a film. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to even be a film because you have an you have HBO Max you can do what they're doing with Dune and do a TV series. So, I mean, there there are options on the table. And they'll figure out which which is what's best, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, we will. So, uh, so Chad, let's also talk about our dearly beloved friend Michael Bay. Michael Bay was probably seen somewhere this weekend in Miami Beach at a bar, drinking his sorrows away as his masterpiece ambulance continues to die on arrival. Your thoughts, sir, on Michael Bay's masterpiece, Dying on Arrival. Oh, boy. boy. It's, it's really bad out here for Michael Bay. Um, I'm still just shocked that at the reception that this movie is getting. Um, I, I just... I know, again, I know we said it last week about, you know, the pandemic and all that, but I rip, like, the Transformers franchise has really, like, tarnished his name. So much so that people don't even want to give something that should that. Just looking at the trailers for that movie, it this is a Michael Bay movie. It's in his pre-Transformers wheelhouse. This is the kind of movie that that uh, that mid-range budget kind of actiony kind of movie. This is the kind of movie that people keep saying that they're missing, and it's done by a guy who's done pretty well at those things, but nobody's going to see it. And I don't know, like, I think it's a combination of 
people still he he is so married to the franchise the Transformers franchise and people think so poorly of those. I think that's an effect. But I and I also think that you know we're still in pandemic time, so people are being more choosy with what they go see. And especially with the, the shortened release window, these kind of movies, if I think if I think if a movie is iffy, people are more inclined to say I will wait the 45 days and then watch it at home. Then say, I'm going to go spend money in the movie theater to go see it. Looking at the list, I, I think that kind of bays out because you get, you know, your big release, Fantastic Beasts is number one. Sonic is still hanging on from number two and people want to go see that. Uh, the Lost City, I think that is one, another smaller to mid-range budget movie. But people seem to generally like that one. So word of mouth, I think, is driving people to go see that. Also, along with everything, everywhere, all at once, which I am dying to see. I can't believe I've seen it yet. But that's number four. People are talking about it, so people are going to go. People, the word of mouth is getting people to see it. With ambulance, is just the complete opposite. They they're not sure about it because it's Michael Bay. So they'll they'll take the flyer and just wait wait it out and. I mean, I've heard that it's good or it's a, um, what you expect from a Michael Bay movie, but I think if people keep hearing it that way, it's a Michael Bay movie in all the good sense. All they think about is all the bad things that's happened before, and that word of mouth isn't translated. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it's uh, 15 million domestic, 24 international, 40 million worldwide. I mean, that's those aren't great numbers, even if your budget is less than 100 million. Those are awful numbers, truly awful. And the movie's good from everything. I like it's it's it looks like a a a drone that you would get from Best Buy was infused with cocaine and it filmed a movie. I mean, (laughs) like that's pure 90s, early 2000s Michael Bay. And it's the guy who did Coyote Ugly. I mean, this is this is it. And, you know, I just like can't. Like, this is one of the first times since the first pandemic began in March of 2020 that we've had full a full buffet menu in the month of in a month. Like, even when we had a streak of like a new movie to go see every week, it was just the one movie every week last fall. Like it it wasn't like three movies that had good word of mouth and that you wanted to see all came out on the same weekend. It was like, okay, this week's big release is next week's big release is like it was one a week here. There's three like you start the week, you you start the month off with uh, you start the the month off with Sonic um, and then you go to uh, everything everywhere all at once, which Banded out slowly over the course of the month. Then you get to Fantastic Beast and where to find them. Yet Morbius, Sonic, Fantastic Beast and where to find them. Everything everywhere all at once. The uh, everything everywhere all at once. Um, the the Norsemen, uh, and then of course all of that concludes with uh, you know Fantastic uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness the first week of May. So like. That's a lot of like good word of mouth movies for the most part that people are going to want to go see. And so the marketplace is 
back to being crowded. And so people have to make a determination about what they want to prioritize going to see. And in a crowded marketplace, you know, I'm not sure that a Michael Bay movie from the 90s really stands out. I mean, I I, I agree with that. But it's still, even as crowded as it is, I don't think anybody would have thought that this movie would do this bad just by having the the pedigree of Michael Bay. Good or bad or indifferent. I never saw this movie doing this bad. And I think that's a shock to everybody. But I think everything you said is accurate. It's just... Could you have imagined if they'd have dropped this in the middle of the damn pandemic? Like if, like if there had been like two things in a movie theater and one of them was this movie, I guarantee you the numbers would have been higher. Oh yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there would have been nothing else there. People that want to go out would go out, and they see that as Michael Bay. And yeah, I think yeah, I think it would have done better than it's doing right now. I it's just every even with all of those things, all of those circumstances. It feels, it feels like, like it, it. It just feels, it feels like, like there's no way. No it's way like, like this movie should have been a short fire. Eh, it's, it's like, like we're 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 questionable about making a profit, but we're at least going to break even. I think that's the kind of movie that this like it screams out to be just on first blush. But this is not nah, son. Y'all getting nothing. Nada. And I just didn't think it was that kind of movie. Indeed. Um, so let's move on to something that is actually good uh, in the greatest sense of the word and is very buzzworthy. Chad, the internet pleaded for a Thor Love and Thunder trailer. The internet was stupid because they didn't realize there was a Marvel movie coming on the first week of May that they had to promote. And then not, then that movie would produce for them the trailer that they had been clamoring for. And honestly, if I were Marvel, I would have kept the Thor loving thunder trailer until premiere day, but the internet has demanded it. It has been delivered onto us. And as my good friend, Chad mess tweeted, uh, Taika Waititi is batshit crazy. <laughs> but Taika himself admits that he's batshit crazy. Uh, yeah, I I was literally thinking about this yesterday that uh, people keep complaining about a Love and Thunder trailer. And I'm like, why will Marvel give that to y'all now when they're about three weeks away from Doctor Strange coming out? They have that movie to worry about first. I understand that Thor is in July, but one, before, one foot before the other. So I thought we would get... I knew we would get the trailer to be... Uh, launched in, a, in time to go with Doctor Strange. You know, normally we think about it, it's like, okay, you'll get the trailer the week of, but as I've noticed with most of these movies, if the trailer comes out the week of, we typically didn't get it on opening day of the movie. We got it like the following week. So releasing it now, I get it. That me that that to me lines up with it actually being shown in theaters like the last trailer right before Doctor Strange starts. I get that. Um, so I'm not I'm not upset or mystified by why they released it today. It lines up that way. I'm just mystified that people were so 
incensed that they hadn't gotten it up until this point when it made no sense. It really made no sense. Which is hilarious because they gave you the Thor, the uh, Doctor Strange trailer as the stinger for their last movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody, no, yeah, nobody said a word about not seeing a Doctor Strange trailer before um, Spider-Man. Now, granted, Doctor uh, Spider-Man was in December. Doctor Strange is in May, so it's like what five months. Whereas Thor is in July, and Doctor Strange is in May, so that's three months. I get that, that the shortened time, but it's still three months. You can promote a movie in three months. The Doctor Strange promotion didn't really kick in a high gear until like a month ago, so calm down, guys. You know, it's just everybody's greedy. They just want as much Taika Waititi Thor footage as they can get. They want, they need more Thor playing with big giant chains and doing uh, you know, doing you know, uh, fit uh, uh, what is that, a CrossFit they they need more fat Thor doing CrossFit on an intergalactic planet to get to get in shape. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I didn't expect to see that in the trailer. That was that was quite a kind of hilarious. I thought we'd just get to the point where it's like, "Hey, Thor's back!" But no, Tyke is going to show us how he got back, and that that is good. Um, you know, the with everything in the trailer, the trailer. Doesn't really tell us much. It just shows us a bunch of pretty things. Be like, "Ooh, look at this! Ooh, look at this!" And then it closes with a great shot. And I think that's the, you know, it's a teaser. And that's what a teaser is supposed to do: get you get the excitement going. And judging by Twitter, the excitement has started pumping. Yeah, it started pumping earlier this morning. Uh, uh, our good friend Jim David of IGN.com said something the last time he was on about how um, he gave up a long time ago trying to guess when trailers and footage was going to drop because he said, you know, it could be a random Tuesday for Marvel. And I think the point that he was trying to convey was like, when they want to drop something, they will dominate the news cycle. I don't think that like anybody remembers, but the phase two and three slate announcement happened at the El Capitan or at the El Capitan in L.A., on a Tuesday, they just invited a bunch of, of media journalists and entertainment folks over to the theater on a random Thursday in the middle of the week and in the middle of the fall and said, here, you know, come, come take, come into the special event. And then it turns out to be the slate announcement. Like they can drop something like this on not at 9 a.m. Eastern standard time on a random Monday and just dominate the news cycle for the full 48 hours it's nuts yep and that's another reason why i i never like stressed over them not dropping the trailer before today because whenever they drop it they're gonna own the cycle we know this they can do whatever they want just just sit back and enjoy the ride that's where you should be at now guys just sit back and enjoy the ride especially when you've got moon knight on the air and you've got a Multiverse of Madness movie coming. Plenty of Marvel content out there, folks. Plenty. Is um, in Moon Knight is six, right? It's six episodes. It's not ten. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. So, Chad, let's talk about the Thor: Love and Thunder trailer. Let's talk about what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. Um, what just were your general impressions as we 
get our first look at Thor Love and Thunder, a movie that was announced in July of 2019. What was that long ago? That it was part of the three years ago. It was part of the Comic Con slate. Oh wow! Wow. It was part of that epic Comic Con 2019 panel, of which half of that has now been released finally. Like half of the stuff, exactly half the stuff that they announced at that con and D23 the next week has finally happened. Thank you, COVID. (laughs) So the trailer itself, uh, like I said earlier, it doesn't really tell us much about the story. It just shows us a bunch of really cool images um i like the whole the opening that shows the different thors running through the trees one of which seems to be like a teenage thor who's wearing the classic comic thor's outfit with the yellow and black boots and and the cutoff shirt and and the silver helmet that was really cool um do you think we'll get an alternate reality in which uh vincent d'onofrio is running around with the outfit on (laughs) <laughs> no i don't think we're gonna get that, that, that is a reference uh, only very few they're doing some weird stuff i don't know if they're going that weird yeah yeah uh, that's, that's a reference only a few people will actually get i mean disney does own that movie now so they really could the uh, was in the in the family they they really could uh that was that was one of my favorite bits of trivia for years i dropped that on people and they'd be amazed but um yeah, uh, we get the, the montage of uh, a fat Thor getting in shape. That was cool. It's not something I expected to see. Uh, his his Ravager outfit and the look of the disgust from Star-Lord, which seeing the Guardians, I mean, I knew they were in the movie, kind of hints that they're in the movie more than I would have thought, but still not a lot. Uh, so I'm now really interested how they're going to play with them, particularly since they have to get, you know, they have to go and do their own thing before Guardians 3 comes out. So, how, like, seeing how they fit into this story is now more intriguing to me. Um, Seeing Thor his different looks, he's got new armor. He's using Stormbreaker. He's burying Stormbreaker. Uh, the only thing from the trailer, story-wise, that we seem to get is that Thor is trying to find out what his new place is in the world, and he's trying to do that without being a superhero. That's kind of all we got. But then we get glimpses of Valkyrie and uh, and new. New Asgard, we get um, what looks to be Mount Olympus because that is clearly Hercules, who is, as I I don't know if I knew this before, but I was reminded today is Russell Crowe. So we got to see that. I mean, yeah, he's, he's Zeus, that's right. He is, and he admitted that on an, he admitted that on, a, on an Aussie radio station uh, back in yeah. January. Like, I knew I had to know that, but I completely forgot till somebody says Russell Crowe. And look, our first look at Russell Crowe Zeus is like, oh, I forgot that is, wow, that is really happening. And then it, it all comes down to the last shot of the trailer, which we get to see, you know, as the trailer progressed, I was like, we haven't seen Jane Foster yet. And they did, they made the right decision to yeah, show. That was, the big, that was the big reveal of the panel. That was, it was a very short segment on Thor Love and Thunder. They didn't really have a lot. They just recently completed the contract with Taika because the Ikea movie had fallen apart. They just 
finished the contract negotiations with with uh, Taika. So he hadn't written the script yet, but they knew what the outline of the story was going to be. And the big reveal was him getting on one knee, Taika getting on one knee and handing uh, Natalie Portman uh, you know, the hammer and being like, Lady Thor will be in uh, Thor Love and Thunder. And hence where we are. Yeah, and and that's what they left us with. They gave us a shot of the the re put together of a clearly carrying the scars, a millionaire. I'm saying it wrong, but you know the hammer, and uh, and it goes to Jay Foster, who is not Lady Thor, as some people are going to say. She is credited in everything in every marketing material. She is the mighty Thor. Address her as such. So the last shot is of. Mighty Thor and Jane Foster looks plenty mighty as uh, as she has gotten kind of jacked to take on the role of Mighty Thor, and I thought that was a great way to end the trailer. Um, for those for those of us that knew, it's kind of expected to see her. For people that had no clue, they're like they get that good shock, and it's like they might not even recognize that it's Natalie Portman, but just seeing the hammer back and Mighty Thor. That's that's, that's that's the entry there. there. Um, the only the thing only from the trailer for me, but again, it's a teaser. We got, got no look at Christian Bale as uh, Gore the God Butcher. That's that's fine if you want to hold that. That seems to be that would probably make more sense for the second trailer, the the story trailer, to tell us what's going on. But uh, that was the only really. I mean, we got a we got a good look at it in the toys. We got we the toys that leaked last week um, gave us a good look at him, and they're not going to do the full CG thing. Which you get Christian Bale to do a villain, you're not going to you're not going to go do what you did to Christopher Yost and just you know do the CG thing on it on him. Um, and I think Christian Bale is going to do a better job than you know the Sleepy Elf did. But um, <laughs> but like okay, so I love the the 80s power ballad. I love the idea of. Thor just being done with all this adventuring and superheroing. Um, I love the idea of him getting back in shape. I love the idea of Valkyrie not liking being the head of a municipality because apparently that's what they they are. They're just a municipality on Earth, subject to normal, you know, town council proceedings, which can be very boring. Um, I love the fact that we get the shot of the horses carrying the chariot, which is you know a very fantastical thing. Uh, that wasn't in the original Thor twenty in 2011 because um, they were still trying to ride that line at that time of magic and science are just two sides of the, the same coin kind of thing, which has since been abandoned because you, you know, delving full floor into the multiverse. Um, here's here's my biggest takeaway from the trailer. And you said you gave me a five minute uh, five minute timer right there. But um, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay, you can go. You can go. Uh, but Natalie Portman is fantastic and amazing, and she is one of the true ladies of Marvel that are getting her due. You see, Pepper Potts got to fire off blasters in Endgame and got to don the armor. And uh, you know, now Natalie Portman's going to get to wield the hammer and be Mighty Thor. Um, so this only means one thing. It means Liv Tyler has to come back as Betty Brant and, and do something in She-Hulk. Um, but here, here's my biggest takeaway from the film, from the trailer. And this was something that I, I cannot believe that we didn't think about 
Thor Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness were both announced within 20 minutes of each other. I've seen that Comic-Con panel from 2019 is still up on YouTube. I have watched that thing at least four or five times in its entirety. Like, it's 20 minutes between the announcement of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Scott Derrickson walking out and talking about doing Marvel's first horror movie. And the movie is actually titled, from the beginning, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And then 20 minutes later, we get Taika walking out Natalie Portman in the reveal. Why did we never put those two things together? It's not the same. Put them together how? It's not the same Jane Foster. It's not the same Jane Foster from the first two movies. Oh. Oh, oh. There are multiple Thors in every, there was a Thor in every universe, the same way there's a Spider-Man in every universe, the same way there's a Hulk in every universe. And and in a couple of weeks, we're going to see Multiple iterations of Doctor Strange, all played by Benedict Cumberbatch. It's what if they're not doing Jane Foster somehow magically comes in contact with the hammer and and uses it when her she's battling brain uh, like breast cancer. What if they're not going that route? What if they're just saying this is the mighty Thor who happens to be in her reality, in her timeline, Jane Foster, who is worthy of the power of Thor and Jane Foster who picked up the hammer, and in her reality, Jane Foster is the one that is uh, that is ready to take on the mantle. I think, I think that's the first time I've heard this particular theory. Um, and so my first thought is, this is why I hate the multiverse, because we open up our, ourselves to these kind of possibilities, and these things get confusing. But with that said, that is a very plausible theory, uh, particularly after them with Spider-Man and going into Doctor Strange, and they seem to be leaning into the, the multiverse of it all. My only counter to that is, is the hammer, because that hammer is clearly made to look like it was put together after uh, Hella destroyed it, which would, I mean, there, yes, there could be other realities where the hammer's destroyed and Jane got it and became mighty Thor. But from everything we know, I think it's led us to believe that it is the same hammer that we know, welded by the same Jane that we know. It could be, it, it, multiverse is completely valid choice when, when you know what we're dealing with now, but I'm still leaning towards it's the Jane that we already know. I think it's more meaningful if it's the Jane that we already know instead of a uh, multiverse Jane. I just think, and yes, it is Earth because you see a car in the background, and and but like, what is to stop if it's God? Is Thor the God Butcher because that giant ice wolf that uh, that is on the ice? I don't know if it was you who retweeted or somebody retweeted the original comic book panel, which which has. Uh, Thor telling a story about how that that giant ice beast was actually once a uh, a god, and he passed him once in a hall- hallway, and they waved at each other and talked for a few moments. And, you know, that obviously alludes to it being Gore the God Butcher. Um, but, like, you know, what if that scene in the fire is multiple Thors coming together to battle the God Butcher? What if it takes more than one god to take down the god butcher? Uh, that would be an interesting prospect. I don't know how many times you want to hit that 
hit that button the way they've done with uh with No Way Home, but it, it's a possibility. And uh, while I'm with you that it would mean way more um, being the Jane Foster that we know from the first two movies, and we've already seen that Darcy has gone on to get her PhD and become a doctor and a doctor of physics and, and done those things in WandaVision. Um, while I think it would mean more, uh, I, I think it also we have to leave open the possibility. I don't know why we didn't think of that when they announced the two, but I guess we just really didn't know how they were going to use the multiverse idea. And then, you know, we got no way home and we're like, Oh, that's how, because there are going to be more cameos in, in, in uh multiverse of madness. We already have the confirmation of the Illuminati, which in and of itself, the Illuminati provides, you know, alternate, alternate versions of characters. So, you know, <sighs> it's, this is, this is why I don't like uh, the multiverse because it we open ourselves up to this. I you you hit on it with the how many times do they want to step through that door? I don't. I think they should use it as sparingly as possible. I think Spider Man was a big swing. I think Doctor Strange is going to be a big swing, but you can't keep leaning on it. Um, it, it's kind of the same thing that they're going to face with Secret Invasion, and my fear is that you know we're doing we're coming to Secret Invasion while we're doing this multiverse multiverse thing, in which if you do it the wrong way, everyone's going to assume that everybody's a scroll or an alternate version, and your characters kind of lose meaning from that. So I think you have to tread lightly. And you're doing multiversal madness, kind of keep the multiversal stuff to that and then revisit it with Loki because we know we're still doing that kind of stuff with Loki. You don't have to have it here in Thor. Let Thor be cosmic and weird and off the charts nuts, but keep the same people that we already know. Don't don't introduce this other element of uh, multiversal copies of other people that we already met. I mean, we already did the Thor variant, uh, the the Loki variants, and we have seen one Thor variant. So, I mean, you know, it's entirely possible. I just, I don't know that they want to go down that road. But like, it, it, like, it didn't even remotely look like the same version of Jane Foster. The hammer looked like the same version, but that didn't look like the Natalie Portman we left behind in uh, Dark of the Dark of the Mo- or. Uh, uh, Dark, dark world, dark world. It's, the movie was so forgettable. Chad, I wrote a, read a book about Marvel, and I still can't remember the damn. <laughs> um, but I mean, other than that, like I love the choice of the power ballad. I love Thor using the hammer to summon the Rainbow Bridge. I love the the Ice Wolf visual. I love uh, the idea of uh, Valkyrie being bored with playing uh, with playing leader. Um, I love all those things. I'm just anxious to see, you know, what we're going to get into here. Cause it is, you know, you got to start promoting this fairly quickly after, uh, after Dr. Strange is over. Uh, I mean, from that standpoint, you've got like, we're through weeks. You've got six weeks. Yeah, exactly. Which is fine. More than enough room for Dr. Strange, um, which will have the highest grossing opening weekend of any, of any 2022 movie. 
So we'll, we'll go from there. The question, the only question for me with Dr. Strange is does the top 200 million opening weekend or not? Um, and I believe that that'll be all dependent upon word of mouth. And, and if there are cameos and we do believe that there are cameos, um, how many cameos they are and of who and how quickly that word leaks. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think whew, 200 million. It, it'll get close. I think it'll probably get over though. Indeed. We will see. Time will tell. So Chad Warner brothers says that they want to make more movies like the Joker. Your thoughts on Warner brothers saying they want to make more movies like the Joker. Tear the whole thing down, Chad. Burn it to the ground and then dance on the steps. <laughs> do you want me specifically to start with Joker? Do we want to just go with this whole thing? Just, just go with the whole thing. But like, I was intrigued by the like, we want more successes like Joker. All right. Uh, let me pull up this document here that I I uh, wrote out the other day. That's like three pages long. Uh, all right. <laughs> so, so what Brian is alluding to is that um the day after we recorded the the lost podcast variety had an article that came out that said that basically warner brothers wants to overhaul how they operate at dc and reading that article the gist of it to most people could be surmised that they want to it sounds like they want to make dc its own separate film studio in the, sort of like the forbidden word Marvel. Um, they also want to have a specific head of DC like Kevin Feige, but they 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 want um, they see the success of the aforementioned Joker and things like Harley Quinn as how you can use, how DC could use secondary characters. To have these like separate ventures. That's the gist of the article. Um, I actually have a few quotes. I want to. I'll run through those real quick before I get into what I really think about it. But uh, so from the article, it says the move will potentially affect DC feature film de- development in the Warner Brothers Pictures Group streaming series at Warner Brothers Television and the creative arm within DC proper all in an effort to have the disparate elements move closely aligned in order to maximize the value of the superhero stable, one often seen as punching up against Marvel. Uh, it goes on to say uh, Zasloff, who is the CEO of Warner Media, uh, I mean Warner Discovery now, uh, vetted candidates with experience in creating and nurturing blockbuster intellectual property with a goal of potentially finding someone to serve as a creative and strategic czar similar to what Marvel has in Kevin Feige. Uh, on that note, it further says one insider suggested that Zaslav was less interested in finding a creative guru and more eager to hire someone who had the type of business background needed to keep all, all the different factions at DC working more harmoniously. And I think the last quote I have is Discovery Insiders believe that although DC has achieved cinematic success with recent films such as Aquaman and the Batman, it lacks a coherent, creative, and brand strategy. Discovery believes that several top-shelf characters such as Superman have been left to languish and need to be revitalized. 
They also believe that projects like Todd Phillips' Joker are a shining example of how second-build characters from the DC library can and should be exploited. Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is another example. Okay, those are all the quotes I got. So, yeah, that feeds into what I said before, the gist of the, what the gist of the article is. They want to streamline DC as a brand. Uh, because right now you have this set of DC films, this other set of DC films, DC films that are going straight to HBO Max. We got the DC television shows over here, the cartoons over here. Um, they also want to include video games and all that. All of those things are out there, and none of them have any any synergy together. And as much as people don't like comparing it. If you look at Marvel, it's the complete opposite. Every, for better or worse, everything has synergy. You know, you know where they all rank in the hierarchy of things, how they all work together or don't work together. If they don't work together, you understand how they don't work together. With DC, it's none of that. It's just all up in the air. So it seems like this new group wants to streamline that. So, having said all that, when I first read this article, my very first thought was, I've heard all of this crap before. Every single bit of it, we've heard it before. And we've heard it several times. Because DC has a habit of changing their minds based on what certain movies do or don't do at the box office. And then throw in the fact that... This is not the first time Warner Brothers has been sold. And with changing management comes changing priorities and changing how things work. So Warner Brothers, particularly in the last 20 years, has been very volatile. And it's been it really has been reflected in how DC has has run. So all these overall, all those things sound good. It sounds like a direction I would want DC to go in. But, but I have I no have faith. faith. I do not trust them to actually go in said direction. And I'll let you chime in before I keep going. I got more to say, too. I mean, just the quotes that you read are contradictory. Like, in, in one set of quotes, <laughs> it's like, we're, we're going to go find ourselves a Kevin Feige. And the next set of quotes is not really. I mean, we don't really want somebody to oversee creative. We just want somebody who's going to harmonize the business practices and focus the brand identity in the way that we would like. Um, so like, like just within the quotes there, there's a contradiction between what they what they're searching for and interviewing people for and what they're not. Like, you know, I understand. Like, this has been our gripe with with DC for a while is that the artsy fartsy stuff over here with the Joker is different from the the crap the the crazy off the wall stuff that James Gunn's doing over here, which is different from the Aquaman stuff that James Wan's doing over here and the Wonder Woman stuff that Patty's doing over here. It's all different. And that's all different from the Blue Beetle movie and the Wonder Twins movie and all this other stuff that's over here in this other pile. Like, it's not a coherent thing. Um, And so we've had that complaint for a while, but, like, that's kind of cool if you're just constantly putting out good content. And part of the problem with DC as a whole is they haven't pretty much since 2005 to 2012, they have not put out consistently good DC content. And 
you know, you'll have a good one and then you'll have a bad one and the studio will react to the ebbs and flows instead of just keeping a steady pace. And we get the essentially what is now going to amount to 10 years of chaos in the DC films division. While your biggest rival is the biggest name in Hollywood and the most stable attracting every Oscar winner known to man, even if it is just to play a, a Zeus for like two minutes in a movie. A guy that you already had in your movies and you threw away those movies. But uh, quick aside, but oh, to go back to that, that uh, Kevin Feige point, I know that statement seems contradictory, but I actually think they're more on the money than not. You know, I, the article specifically says that they don't want a creative type like Kevin Feige. They want more of a business-minded person. And I think that I think that quote discredits what Kevin Feige is, uh, because first and foremost, Kevin Feige is a producer. He came up in film as a producer. He worked on the Lauren Shula Donner and worked her, worked his way up and worked as a producer. He ever worked on was Volcano. Yeah, yeah. So he 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 went to USC film school. He knows movies. He knows the. And he came up as a producer, so he knows the business side of movies. I think that is an underrated skill of his. I, because people view Marvel as producer-driven, they think of him as a creative mind behind it. I don't think that's necessarily it. I think everything runs through him, but it's his understanding of the business and how the work Because he still has to do all those business deals. He's still doing all those business deals that that, that producers, producers do. do. He just he also, also knows, knows all of the creative elements. He's he's involved creatively, but that's not that's all he all is. So, so with DC wanting a Kevin Feige type I, and wanting it to be business minded, I think Kevin Feige very much is that. And I think if DC got the equivalent of that, they would be fine. They don't. He. Whoever it is has to decide what they want, what their vision for DC is, and how creatively do they want to be involved with it. If they don't want to be creatively involved with it, that's fine. But then they handle all of the business stuff, keep everything in line so everything flows the way it should. And I think that's what they need. I think they need a producer first and foremost. Uh, they need a producer, but they need a producer who is going to actually respect the source material that it's working with. And that's what, that's Kevin's biggest attribute. From what I understand about him, he wasn't the biggest comic book fan. He knew the stuff. He was like a Star Wars nerd. But he came in, he respected the source material. He learned about the source material. Like there's that story of him working on the first X-Men movie. He's the one that like insisted and actually did it himself with styling Hugh Jackson's wing haircut because he knew that's what Wolverine was in the comics and he respected that source material so he wanted to give that in the movies that's that's through him learning about it on his own that's what DC needs they need a producer that respects the source material if they get that 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 should fix a lot of their problems because I don't think the people that have worked there respect all of the properties they have to the point that they can make the right decisions about things going forward. Yeah, what kind of progress are we making on that on that Ava DuVernay New Gods movie? Oh no, no, they scrapped that already. They scrapped that like last year. 
Yeah, I mean, like, we've gotten tons of projects that never get, never come to fruition out of this, out of every regime for the last five years. But, like, you know, they've had Charles Roven on staff for how long? Like, they've had Jeff Johns on staff. They've had, um, oh, what's your, what's your boy's name? Zack Snyder on, on board for a while. Like, they've had producers who understand a version of the source material. Um, I don't know why you haven't just been like, I know Jeff Johns was in charge of the studio for a hot minute, but I don't know. Charles Roven is a, vet, a veteran uh, producer on the level of Shula Donner and Amy Pascal. I don't understand why you didn't just give him the keys and be like, here, organize all of this. Um, if you're looking for somebody younger, you, you know, Nate Moore is sitting right there if you want to go make an offer. Um, but I mean, but it doesn't seem like they're that logical uh, in their searching. So it's kind of like uh, kind of like having the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator both uh, interview for the head coaching job and just giving it to one of them. So, so, so the producers they've had they've come had through had there, I mean, there probably have been some that could have done the job. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, see, I see Charles, Charles Roven. Roven. I see Charles Roven and I see Kathleen Kennedy. Like that kind of, I've been around Hollywood forever. I have a bunch of contacts. I know a bunch of people. Um, I know how to get stuff done kind of guy. You know, and as you say that, I think, I think you're right. And I think if, if DC was just, if a previous iteration of DC, I think he would have worked. The one of those iterations that says that it's all about, you know, our tour driven, I think he would have been a producer for that because that's what he's going to do. He's going to get everything lined up for those directors to do whatever they want. I don't necessarily think that's the right approach for DC, but he would have worked for that kind of style. I think for what they want, um, there are probably a number of producers that would work, but you brought up who would be one of my top names, Nate Moore, because he sat he has sat there, much like Kevin Feige learned from Morris Shula Donner. He has learned from Kevin Feige, and he's been there for years. And Kevin might be the end all, but those producers work heavily on all those films, and they report to Kevin. And I think that experience, working in the same space, you're working in the same space as superheroes for the for the most successful franchise in movie history for the most successful producer you're learning all of this stuff from that guy why if only it i mean i'm not saying nate moore wants to leave but if nate moore thought that he could he could bring a vision to dc and he talks to the people at dc and that vision lines up why not give him a chance because he's He's done all the things you you would want somebody to do. Any of those producers that have worked under Kevin Feige, they all should be like one through five on that list of of DC people that they need to call. It's just a matter of does their vision line up with the DC vision? If they want to do straight up just what Marvel's done, that's probably not the best thing to do. But if they want to take what they learn from Marvel, they see what DC has see what DC wants to be and understand that, okay, I see what you want to be. And I think this is what that looks like. Yeah, why not give him a shot? But uh, 
I know most people, if that were to happen, most people would be like, so DC just wants to be Marvel because that's all they're going to see. This Marvel producer is coming. This is a producer, a working producer has been doing this for years in the similar space as you are, and they want to do it another way, their own way. That's That should be what you want. That should be everything you want. Yeah, and like it's... Uh... The analogy that I use all the time is coaching searches, right? Like you have those those assistants from that one really good head coach that always show up on um, head coaching candidate list in the in the coaching carousel season. And uh, the last few years, the hottest name on that list has been Eric Bellamy, who uh, is, up until this season was Andy Reid's uh, offensive coordinator in Kansas City, and uh, you know Andy Reid has a fairly successful coaching tree. Uh, and he himself came from a very successful coaching tree, the, the Mike Holmgren coaching tree. Um, so, like, we see that in coaching all the time, where you you hire the guy off the most successful staff, and you give him the head coaching responsibilities and see how it works. I just, I wish, that, I just think they would have done that by now, or should have done that by now. And it's also a matter of if Nate wants it, uh, but they got to do something, man. Because you got to get some uniformity. Can't keep having these dispersal yep, yep. pockets where the Batman is over here doing this gritty and dark thing, while Birds of Prey is doing this light, campy, very bright colored thing, while the Suicide Squad is over here doing, and Peacemaker over here doing this raunchy, uh, already comedy thing, while Superman just sits there on the shelf collecting dust, while Aquaman and Wonder Woman are getting their third movies each. Like, you know. You can't keep having it be this disparate when, you know, we've got Hemsworth doing his fourth four, his fourth Thor movie and his eighth Marvel movie overall over the course of 11 years. Like, you know, you kind of got to got to line it up a bit. And I, look, I know they're not going to say this, but I've said it before. When Doctor Strange comes out and blows the doors off of Batman, the Batman's block box office. That should that never should happen. happen. It's about and, to cross and, 800 million global next weekend. It'll cross 800 million global. It, is it? Because I thought it was at like 750. And I just, with it being on HBO Max now, I think that the, the, the total is going to slow to a crawl. And then you add on top of that the Doctor Strange arrival. Yeah, yeah. It, it's got, so I think it's going to slow to a crawl. It's at 751 right now. I think it's going to slow to a crawl starting today because it's in uh, it's at home. Everybody can watch it in HBO Max, but it'll stick around in theaters probably until Doctor Strange, maybe a little bit longer. But Doctor Strange is in three weeks. I don't see it making. I mean, it it could, but I don't see it making fifty million dollars between now and Doctor Strange coming out. So it's probably going to tap out under eight hundred million. Doctor Strange is probably hitting at least. Eight, probably nine. I mean, no, there's no problem now. If it hits eight, it's probably hitting a billion. That's where I think that's where that movie's headed. And you have the Batman, the big, your biggest, your biggest tool in the shed, and they can't hit a billion in in the superhero climate that we're in. That that shouldn't happen. Um, but to uh, but to um, other points in this. Well, 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 looking at 
if, if we take it at face value and that discovery really is in this for the long haul, they're not trying to build it up to sell it. They mean when they say that they want DC to be a pillar of Warner Brothers. I think that kind of commitment can truly make the difference in what DC can be. But if that's the case, so we're saying all that is true. And let's say that they go out and pick some producer to start working on it. What does that look like? What, what does it look like for the producer going forward um, in trying to fix the mess that is DC? Because before, I'm going to pitch that question that happens. They change direction. And in changing directions, a lot of times they change the people that were in charge. But they will change people in charge, but their projects will still come out. That's how we get... Um, that's how, that's, how, I, how Aquaman, that's how Aquaman even happened. Aquaman was greenlit. People got fired, but the thing was already going, so they let it keep going. That's And that increases how the Snyderverse can keep living because you can't kill it because you made a successful movie in Aquaman. But the, that regime was fired. And this regime comes in, but its first movie isn't coming for like two, three years down the line. And it all gets convoluted and people don't know who did what and I think that's a large part of why we're, where we're at today with the Batman being over there on his own island and you have this other maybe universe going. So if you're coming in and you know that this has been par for the course with DC, what do you do? How, what are you trying to do first? Yeah, I mean, that's the way I am. Like, you don't know. I don't know what you where you're going to go and what you're going to do first because of the Batman success. But uh, that's got to be that's got to be up there as far as like getting a coherent strategy. Once you get somebody in place, you let the what's the old uh, the old saying Bill Parcells used. Uh, you got to let me uh, buy the groceries if you want me to cook in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So we will see. Well, Chad, that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger fan. And I am at the best theory. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening.